Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. The Bears are back. We're back right here on Sports Talk Chicago. Appreciate all of you tuning in. It's great to be back. I'm John Sklour. John Meadows is here directing and producing. Brought to you by our great sponsors, Amish Country Farms and Portland Park. As you continue to watch this video, please subscribe to the channel. Please watch us and find us wherever you'd like on social media at Sports Talk Chicago. So the Bears played a preseason game. Football is all of a sudden back, and we're just about three or four weeks away from opening day, week one for Bears football. They won. Does it matter? Are they going to go 17-0 like every prognosticator out there says now? Probably not. But it was a well-played first series for the Bears' first team and also well-played near the back end in order for them to turn out and win it against Tennessee. The Bears officially won 23-17 on Saturday, beating the Tennessee Titans. The Titans had a mishmash of different quarterbacks between Malik Willis and Will Levis, both of them vying for that number two and number three spot, respectively, on the depth chart. But for the Bears, talk about an explosive way to open up the game. Justin Fields in general, three of three, 129 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, perfect passer rating, and two series of play. And what's ironic about Fields is that in total, as far as air yardage, probably got about 10 out of the 123 yards. A couple of screen passes, very simple ones to DJ Moore and Cleo Herbert, and they were gone. <laughs> they went all the way to the end zone both times for big touchdown scores. Roshan Johnson got a lot of carries, most notably 12 carries, 44 yards. Herbert had four carries for 15. DJ Moore led all receivers with 62 yards on the one catch. The screen pass from Justin Fields caught behind the line of scrimmage. And he took it all the way to the house. Khalil Herbert right behind him at 56. What could we take away from a game like this? What did we see that indicated to us anything of promise? I find it interesting that the first two times the Bears scored with their first team offense out there, it wasn't anybody taking over the game. It wasn't Justin Fields having to duck and get around pressure, use his legs, gain 20 yards on the fly run out of the pocket, make something happen. Nope, Bears didn't need that. They weren't heavily relying on him. They weren't running the ball five or six times, trying to claw and inch their way for first downs to keep the drive going. Nope. There was no struggle in terms of keeping drives alive. All Justin Fields had to do, literally, was throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage. You heard that right. Behind the line of scrimmage. And the receivers did the rest. What's that say? And what does that indicate? Well, for once, although it's preseason, Justin Fields has help. And this is what we've been talking about and advocating for since Matt Nagy threw him out of the bus, what, three years ago now? We've been advocating for help. We've been advocating for support. We've been asking Ryan Poles and Ryan Pace at the time, please spend money, please help this kid, don't leave him out to dry. And finally, we're seeing somewhat of that in this preseason. 
He has a number one wide receiver. We saw DJ Moore turn it up from nothing behind the line of scrimmage to a quick dash downfield all the way to the end zone. Then we see the same exact play almost to Khalil Herbert does the same thing. Point being, Justin Fields has weapons, which we already knew about. and We knew about that on paper. Now we're seeing it come to fruition in games. Secondly, the Bears' investment and the Bears' prioritization, Ryan Pulse's prioritization of the offensive line is starting to materialize and take shape. Because I'll tell you what, if this was last year's offensive line, even in this preseason game, the Bears would not have scored two touchdowns on passes behind the line of scrimmage. There would not have been enough blocking to even execute a 10-yard screen, let alone a 50- and 60-yard screen for touchdowns on top of it. This year's offensive line, with Darnell Wright cheaply, the top pick, and other players who were signed and brought in, have made things much better for Fields in the pocket. See, he has help. He has people there supporting him. He has weapons offensively. DJ Moore, Khalil Herbert, Chase Claypool, if he decides to show up and play. Darnell Mooney's going to be back. Darnell Wright's doing a heck of a job of the offensive line. Early returns from experts and even from the eye test looked amazing on Saturday. Really outstanding. There's a reason why he was a top 10 pick. This is exciting offensively. I don't remember the last time this Bears offense excelled this much that quickly in a preseason game. Now, preseason is about working out kinks. It's about working out potential problems, about getting everybody used to each other, having the starting quarterback play a couple of series, having the B team, the C team, third, second string and third stringers kind of play and just get their feet wet. The Bears came out charging on Saturday right away. No delay, no waiting, nope, right away, quick screen, all the way to the end zone. And another quick screen, all the way to the end zone. And I doubt Luke Gatsby was sitting there thinking, all right, these screen passes are going to lead to 15, 60-yard touchdowns, but they did. Because once you get the ball in the hands of the right player, and once you have enough blocking and legitimate offensive line uh, pieces, you're able to make things happen out of nothing. There's no way Luke Gatsby sat there and drew it up like that. Oh, yeah, I'm going to call a screen field. Yeah, Justin, you're going to throw the ball uh, four yards behind the line of scrimmage, and it's going to turn into a touchdown. No. And last year, had that been called, if we saw it called in games, regular season for sure, it led to nothing. The Bears were one of the only teams last year that just couldn't execute a screen. I remember talking about it on our live calls last year. I would always ask, why are the Bears one of the only teams in football that just could not execute a screen? Could not do it to save their lives. Could not do it. And now this year, two of them in the preseason right away with Justin Fields. And and everyone's going to say, well, it's just the preseason. You know what? I'm thoroughly impressed with those two plays specifically. I'm thoroughly impressed with the growth that we've seen in relatively a short period of time. Everyone will say it's just the preseason. Well, if Justin Fields had a clunker, We'd all be bashing him, myself included. I'm here to give him praise for what he does well. I'm here to give this team praise for what they do well. Now, the one kind of conundrum, the one thing you could point out is, well, Justin didn't really throw the ball. There were kind of a couple of lob passes behind the line of scrimmage, and I can't argue with that. He didn't throw the ball downfield, didn't air it out, didn't have any opportunities to do so. But I'll take three of three, two touchdowns, no picks, 100-plus yards, perfect passer rating all day long. I don't care if it's a 50-yard screen turned into a touchdown. 
That just means Justin finally has competent players around him, and I'm not going to complain about that. We've got to pick and choose what we want to complain about. And I'm right down the middle. You guys know that. I'm not a big fanboy of the Bears, but I'm not going to sit here and bash him constantly for just no reason. you got to show me results, then I can evaluate them and critique them. And what I saw on Saturday with the offense in the first couple of drives was extraordinary. I mean, I was shocked that I was watching Bears football because Bears football is usually, yeah, we're going to run a screen, a tight end screen, right? Matt Nagy tight end, end around a freaking Cole Komet and lose five yards behind the line of scrimmage. That's Bears football to my knowledge. But apparently, it's gotten a lot better. So I'm going to give them praise for what they did on Saturday in the first two drives. Critics will say, oh, Justin Fields didn't throw the ball far. Justin Fields didn't air it out. Oh, those passes could be completed by Mitch Trubisky or anybody for that matter. Yes, they could. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to argue with the results. I'm not going to argue with the numbers on paper for Fields. Because then what are we complaining about? The fact that he finally has a team around him? I mean, that makes no sense. People like me have been saying we can't fairly evaluate Fields until we know how he does with the team around him. So now he has a team around him, and look at how he's doing. Great signs, great things to see. We've got to be very careful what we complain about, what we worry about, what we talk about, and how we evaluate this team moving forward. Season's here now. No more talk in the offseason and constant rumors and wondering what's going on and speculating and then critiquing and hearing reports and bashing them or praising them. Season's here. Time to shine. Lights are on. Time to play. And what we saw on Saturday was impressive. By the way, a small storyline that nobody really talked about. How about Cairo Santos making all three of his kicks? That was nice. And I called for him to be cut, or I called for him to at least face competition this training camp. And it seems like he's going to be the de facto kicker, but he does have a chip on his shoulder, too. He made all three of his kicks. 28, 29, and 49 yards out. That's nice. Got to do it more often. The Bears allowed zero points in the second half to the Titans. Now, I get it. You're facing your second and third string players, but the Bears' second and third string held strong against Malik Willis and Will Levis. By the way, two guys who were top picks. Will Levis is a rookie, and he might not even get the second string job with Tennessee. And the Bears made him look horrible on Saturday. Take a bet what you will. The Bears recorded four takeaways defensively. Four. That's great. Hitch principle in motion kind of mirrors the 2018 Bears team. They led the NFL in takeaways with 31. The Bears do better when their defense does the majority of the heavy lifting, historically speaking. 2018 was such a great year for everybody involved. Why 31 takeaways? Every time the Bears were able to take away the ball, they either scored defensively or they set up for amazing field position. Then from there, when you cut the field in half, there's no pressure on the quarterback or the offense whatsoever. And if you do screw up offensively, you know your defense is there to back you up. The Bears have never replicated 2018 defensively until potentially now. This is a perfect storm of events if things work out. Between Justin Fields actually having weapons who know what they're doing and the Bears' defense embracing the hits principle and potentially replicating 2018, I'm just saying... 
There's a lot that could occur positively if it continues. If is the big question. I'm also not going to sit here and tell you, hey, the Bears are winning the Super Bowl and going 17-0 because they won one preseason game. I saw a lot of fans saying that all over Twitter and various social media platforms. Not the case. It's one preseason game, and you faced off against Malik Willis, who was one of the worst quarterbacks ever last season, literally. I mean, his passer rating was like 45, 46, and then Will Levis, who's a rookie. So I'm also not going to sit here and tell you, hey, Bears winning the Super Bowl, but I will say impressive performance. And it just gives you a little bit of a key and insight into what they could be this year and what their identity could be. We have somewhat of an insight. And really, I think it's pretty simple when we break down what the Bears should be and what their identity should be. Take away the football defensively and trust your weapons offensively. For once, doesn't have to be all on Justin Fields' shoulders. He doesn't have to literally carry this team on his back to even be in a game. Last year, all the games the Bears lost, they were pretty much in them. Why? Justin Fields and company kind of kept them in it. Fields would scramble, gain 20 yards here and there. He'd run out of pressure. He'd get sacked a ton of times still. I mean, it was just a blank show last year. It really was. Now this year, first preseason game, only three passes, three completions, perfect passer rating, two touchdowns, all for passes that didn't pass the line of scrimmage because his offensive line and his receivers did the heavy lifting. Justin Fields still has a lot to prove this year. I think he is promising. I think he's proven already that he's a competent starting quarterback. But he hasn't proven yet that he is this superstar, this MVP, and this year will help show it. But having this supporting cast around him is already impressing me and keeping me on the positive side. Look at what he did with what he had, finally. Look at what he did with what was finally given to him and invested to by Ryan Bowles. This is how it all happened. Huh, what a weird concept, actually investing in your quarterback. The Bears finally did it after years of rebuilding and firings and tumult around Hallis Hall. So this was an encouraging game. This was an exciting game. And I'm proud of how the Bears played, especially early on with the starters in. Can it be replicated come week one? Hope so. But we did see on paper, how the Bears could be effective in 2023. If they replicate this preseason game, they're going to be unstoppable. Simply put, if Justin Fields can trust the weapons Ryan Poles brought in, and if the defense could take away the football like crazy, this team's going to win the division. And that's not an overstatement or an overreaction. But if there's backsliding, if there's regression, if the defense isn't as good as they showed to be, we could be talking about a different story. So I challenge the Bears, after watching this game, to keep going. Keep it up. Because if you don't, we're going to be having a different conversation in about five months. (laughs) I hope they keep it up. And I was very impressed by what I saw on Saturday. Oh, who am I? 
That's right, I'm Bayless Jones Jr. because I muffed yet another punt in another game for the Bears. This is John Zaglou here with Sports Talk Chicago. Why is Bayless Jones still returning punts? Why is Bayless Jones still returning kicks? Why is Bayless Jones even on this Bears team anymore? Yeah, I went there. Why is he a part of this promising organization? Why is this one bad cog still a part of this team? What benefit does he bring to them besides, hey, if he somehow gets the ball in his hands, watch out. Yeah, that's if he could catch the ball that goes into his hands. Mattis Jones muffed yet another punt on a hop, and he decided somehow, some way to go for it, and he muffed it, lost the ball, Bears lost the possession. Huh, does that remind you of anything? Because I remember last year, Two times in fourth-quarter situations in which the Bears were leading, there was a punt, and Bayless dropped the football. Both those games, the Bears were in front. Both those games, the Bears ended up losing. Now, it's okay because last year they were formally slash informally tanking. That's fine. This year, not the case. Last year was convenient. The Bears did everything they could to lose games, and Bayless Jones was actually a helpful piece of that. He single-handedly cost the Bears two games, so good for him in that situation. But we're past that now. This year's about winning. This year's about progress. This year's about development, legitimate development. This year's about potentially making the playoffs. Can you tell me today that Bayless Jones Jr. should be on this team moving forward? Can you envision him being the Bears punt return man, kick return man, in a playoff game when the stakes are that high. If he can't even catch a ball in the preseason when the stakes are this high, how can he do it when they're raised up to here? You get my point, right? You get why I dropped the football to open up this video, right? It might have been funny, but this is ridiculous. And everybody's to blame, by the way. It's not just Valus. I know I'm piling on him right now, but this actually goes all the way up to the top and Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze. And here's why. If you recall, Bellis Jones was Ryan Poles' first offensive pick. Loyalty much? And Ryan Poles, 95% of the time, I praised and agreed with, but there is that 5% that needs to be called out, and that's this. Ryan, clearly it's not working. I know you're tied to him. Your heart's tied to him because he was your first offensive pick. You care about him so much. You want him to succeed. You don't want to be looked at as an idiot in the draft process during your first year. But I'll tell you what, everybody will forgive you if you cut him. I won't even care about it because at the end of the day, it was your first year. You came in late. You inherited a horrendous team from Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. No one's going to blame you for striking out on this pick. No one's going to kill you for saying, wow, Ryan Pulls really screwed up there. If you just spent $100-plus million on talent and players that are going to come in and make this team better. It's okay. If you cut him tomorrow, I'd say, hey, Ryan Poles, great move. I know you drafted him, but let's just move on. Let's shake hands and move on from the deal, and let's talk about what's going to come for this team. Let's do that together, all of us. Because clearly, this is not working anymore. Bettis Jones told the Chicago Sun-Times that all week, all camp, I've been doing a good job catching footballs, feeling them out, even when we practice in the stadium. That's a lie. Clearly it is. This article goes on to say from NFL.com, and I love this quote. 
I almost laughed when I read this, and I'm laughing right now. Fumbling was an issue for Jones as a rookie. He botched his first preseason touch a year ago. So there's already a pattern established in his first preseason touch. Now we're in his second preseason. The same pattern still being done over and over again. And fumbled three times in the regular season. Jones returned just five punts last season while muffing two, both in the fourth quarter of losses. So let me get this straight. Five punts returned in total. Two of them muffed, so three of them he actually caught. So 60% of the time, he actually caught the punt. That's a D, D minus grade. He'd be failed in school. He'd be failed in everywhere else. This isn't baseball. Okay? You can't catch it 30% of the time and make $10 million. No, 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 not here. You've got to catch the ball when it's kicked to you. And everybody talked about in the beginning, Vandalus being such a high-impact, X-factor, exciting player. Well, let me tell you this. Vandalus Jones did not do much last year. His running numbers were impressive in nine attempts, but he only caught the ball seven times and was targeted 14. The real question becomes, what does Vallis Jones bring to the table, if anything? What value does he add to this team? Answer is nothing right now. I think at this point, it is not an overreaction to say he should be gone. I know everybody told me that last year when I said after every time he fumbled, he should be caught. John, you're crazy. John, you're an idiot. John, you're a lunatic. John, you're trigger happy. What are we going to say now? You can only justify so many mistakes in this fashion. Look, if he was a quarterback and he had a tough first year, 12 touchdowns, 20 picks, we could go back and forth and say, hey, here's what happened. Here's why it happened. Let's see if he can improve come year two. We did that with Justin Fields. This is different. This is a simple catch the ball issue. And if you want to be called a wide receiver or a punt returner or a kick returner and you just can't catch the football, we got bigger problems here. Now, if you want to be a running back, if they want to convert, maybe Bayless, you know, a running back, kind of kind of like Ty Montgomery, if you all recall, was with the Packers, wide receiver for years, then they had no running back, so he just became the de facto running back, and it did work. If he wants to do that, I could totally see it, but the Bears don't have a need for running back either. They have five of them. So what is Bayless Jones doing on this team? What sort of value does he contribute today, and why is he still being trotted out there to return punts and kicks when he can't catch the football? What are we doing, guys? Last year was fine. The goal was to lose, and Vallis played a big part in helping them lose. Good for him. Not going to work this year. Not going to happen. This team is too advanced. It kind of reminds me, Cubs fans out there, Starlin Castro 2015. Uh, So Starlin Castro's on the Cubs from 2010 to 2014. He was the poster child of the horrendous years. But in 2015, when the Cubs got good, there was really no place to put him. He was horrible. They benched him famously, then brought him back, and by 2016, he was off the team. I like Starlin Castro as a baseball player, and he was a talented player in his prime. But the Cubs realized with this new era of Cubs baseball, Starlin was not going to be a part of their plans. And I think the Bears have to realize here, this is not last year's team. This is not entering the year thinking, we're going to rebuild, we're going to suck, who cares, let's develop him. No, this year is, we have to win something. We have to at least be 9-8, and eight, right? Minimum. And we can't have people weighing us down like this. Blowing games for us. Blowing possessions. Blowing field position. Getting in the way. Vanless right now is a liability, not an asset. I worry. I cringe when I see the ball kicked to him. I'm like, oh, is he going to catch it? I don't know. That's not what we should be expecting from an NFL player. High school, peewee football. Pop Warner football, sure. 
right? Of course. Naturally, these are kids trying to learn the game. NFL, no, too little, too late. If they want to keep him as a running back, or maybe a running back wide receiver hybrid, or I don't even know, maybe I could see justification for it. But if we're talking about him being the punt returner and or the kick returner again, guys, come on now. We've seen this not work out multiple times. We've seen it not work out again. And everybody says, well, no, he just did it a couple of times. Well, out of the five punts he got to return, he muffed two of them last year in the fourth quarter. He muffed one of them in the preseason last year. Now he muffed another one in the preseason. Okay, this is a pattern. This is not once in a while. Oh, he needs more punts kicked him. He won't muff it as much. No. Two times out of five is already too many. At that rate, 60% of the time he make the catch. So if he got 20 punts kicked to him, there would be probably, on average, six, seven, eight muffs. Not acceptable. Because each one of those muffs would probably occur in a situation that would not behoove the Bears. And really, any muff at any time is not going to behoove the Bears. Doesn't matter. I don't care if it's 47 nothing. you muff a punt. Because it, it leads to a pattern. Right? If you muff even when the game's not on the line, eventually you're going to muff when the game is on the line. It's going to turn into a habit, a pattern, and it's going to be a problem. So, we all have to come to the conclusion. Everybody together here, it's time for Vandalus to go. I mean, you can't actually convince me he still deserves to stay, right? I know Bears fans were fractured, and there's no more fracture. We can all unify around this, right? I would think. I mean, there can't be many Vandalus Jones truthers out there, right? And if you are, I don't want to be disparaging. Then comment and tell me why he should stay, but I don't see a need for him to be here anymore. I don't see a need for him to be on this team anymore. If he wants to go to another tanking team, I'm trying to think of bad teams, maybe the Rams are going to be bad this year, maybe the Cardinals, you can go there and help them lose more games. If a team's looking to lose games purposefully or tank or whatever it is, Ellis Jones is on the market, tank him. But if you're actually in the business of winning football games, this is not somebody you want on your team right now. And I will say, you're free to bash me if somehow they keep him and he turns it around and never mops a punt again and becomes Devin Hester, but come on. I really doubt that's going to happen here. You're free to come after me. You're free to go back to this video and trash me and say I was so wrong. But you can't blame me at this point in time, mid-August 2023, for saying it's time the Bears have cut ties with Vandas Jones Jr. Right? Can't blame me for that. This is horrendous. It's frustrating to watch. And it's going to carry over like it did last year into the regular season. So Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, Lugetzi, somebody from the Bears organization, if you're watching, please cut Phyllis Jones. It's over. And this is not personal. This is not me disparaging his character. I never said one thing about his character. I'm talking about his on-the-field performance. It's a joke. And this experiment, I guess, quote-unquote, needs to end. I am sick of seeing it. Please get rid of Bamish Jones Jr. You want to see more of that? Then keep Bayless Jones around. But if you're worried about this team winning, if you're worried about somebody catching the football, I think we've seen enough. Where are the Bears going to go next? 
Sports Talk Chicago. Herbert Johns Glow. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears and Chicago sports content. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and support our great sponsor, Amish Country Farms. Where are the Bears going to go next? What will they do? And what's the deal on their new stadium or old stadium or really any stadium progress that we're hearing about? Kevin Warren came out, told Peter King, NBC Sports, a couple of things in regards to what he is looking for in a new stadium. Here's the quote. Chicago Bears president, CEO Kevin Warren, told Peter King that having a dome stadium is what's best for business. Warren said that there are still several issues at the Arlington Park location and is hopeful to make a decision on a stadium within the next 12 months. So not, I was expecting when I read this quote at first, oh, two, one, five, six, 12 months is the answer. <laughs> We're going to have to wait a long time to find out what they're going to do. Now, full disclosure, the Bears have other locations that they're looking at. I work for one of those municipalities. i got to be journalistic here a little bit. I work for Aurora. But the city of Aurora, Naperville, uh, Lake Forest, um, obviously Arlington, the city of Chicago, Richton Park, and even Waukegan, they've all come out with proposals to see if the Bears could go move their stadium there. Now, I've kind of held this opinion already, and I'm going to say it again. I think the only two logical places for the Bears to be moving forward are Soldier Field, although it is horribly run and managed, it allows for consistency, or Arlington Heights because they've convinced everybody that's where they're going to go. They bought the land. They've told everybody in press releases, this is what's going to happen. And I like Kevin Warren, and I trust his judgment, but you just come into the job and now you're screwing everything up. You have the land. You bought it. Demolition's happening right now. Why move in? And it's not as much as a, hey, we can't buy new land, we don't have the funds. The Bears have the funds to do whatever they want. It's a branding issue, in my opinion. It's a branding problem. You've told everybody for years, and this is pre-Kevin Warren, this is pre-2018. I mean, for years, everyone's been talking about the Bears need a new stadium. For years, it's been going on. They need somewhere new. The Chicago Park District manages their stadium. They don't manage it well. People are getting hurt on the grass because it's so old. And so worn down, the turf is horrible. We hear it all the time. Location's bad, parking's bad. I get it. The idea of Arlington Heights came up in 2018, 2019, throughout the pandemic, and even now. For five or six years, all we've heard in our ears are whispers of Arlington Heights. The new off-track betting facility, the new horse racing center is going to turn into the future big stadium for the Chicago Bears. The land is there, 198 acres. The demolition's taken place. The McCaskies, uh, Ted Phillips, who, by the way, is still with the Bears in an advisory role. They've all come out with press releases over the years saying it's going to be Arlington, it's going to be Arlington. Why screw it up now? And out of the other locations, are any of them best? Are any of them going to compare to Arlington? I don't know. Arlington's still in Cook County. Arlington's very close, relatively speaking, to Soldier Field, to Chicago. And here's the kicker. Arlington knows how to run a giant-ass facility. They know how to run a giant 198-acre race course. So they could probably run and understand how to run, how to build, and how to implement a brand-new Bear Stadium. I'm all for the dome part. 
Kevin Warren said. They need a dome, and that's best for business. 100% agree. You have to have a dome. The Super Bowl will come back to Chicago, or will come to Chicago, if there's a dome on that stadium. Concerts will come to their stadium more often if there's a dome. NCAA tournament will come to Chicago if there's a dome. Theoretically, you could even turn it into a baseball field if you wanted to and have a couple of fun, uh, interesting games there, like maybe do a Crosstown Classic one game or an exhibition one game, Cubs and White Sox in the dome. You could do it. The opportunities are endless there. Having a dome. Economically speaking, more people will probably come to the stadium knowing they won't have to freeze their butts off in negative 10-degree weather in January. Overall, the stadium's going to be more centrally located for a lot of people in the suburbs. Parking's going to be better. The fan experience is going to be better. It's going to be a brand-new stadium, not one that's crumbling to the ground. So all around, having a dome and just building in Arlington is a great idea that I think revenues will, will go up and it'll be a perfect situation and opportunity. I don't know what issues Warren's talking about. I mean, they're very vague here. It just says several issues with Arlington. I know the tax thing and all that's been a problem. But why does it have to take 12 months to make a decision on this? I mean, generally speaking, you could hear a city and then you know the answer, right? I mean, we all do, and I'm sure Kevin Warren does too. Okay, he knows they're not going to move to Waukegan. Come on. I mean, why? Not centrally located, far for everybody to get to, even the Bears. I mean, their practice facilities in Lake Forest. Waukegan is way out of the way, way out there. Why in Waukegan? I like Richton Park's idea. Richton Park is like 400 acres, but Richton Park's too far south to south. Lake Forest would make sense, but do they even have the land or the capacity? And Naperville and Aurora are west, but again, land and capacity are questions for both cities. So when you narrow it down, when you hear these cities and these towns come forward and you just hear the name, you kind of already have a preconception or an idea of what they're able to offer. Some good, some not so good. Arlington Heights is still the natural choice. You bought land there. There's 200 acres there. They know how to run giant facilities. And for six years minimum, there have been rumors and talks and press releases put out about Arlington and the Bears. Don't screw it up, Kevin Warren. Please, just do it. Or, worst-case scenario, stay in Chicago. It's going to be, it's going to look horrible, and it's going to suck because that stadium is so bad, but at least for brand purposes, it keeps things consistent. It's not going to be a total loss because at the end of the day, everybody knows what they're going to get. They know how to get there. They know the drill. They know how things work there. It's not going to be a bad thing necessarily, if you just stay put, it's going to suck in the sense of you won't get a dome and things are still going to be crappy, but you won't also lose geographical and potential economic ties. The logical option is either Chicago or Arlington, and that's it. There's really no other option that makes perfect sense. There are other options out there that make some sense, like Forest, okay, the Bears facilities there, Naperville, Aurora area, both areas have some merit in terms of economic development and in terms of 
people and people wanting to come. Those are attractive western suburbs. Richton Park is a giant-ass field of 400 acres they need to use. That's attractive. But then they all have their downfalls, too, and they all have their setbacks. Arlington or Chicago makes the most sense, preferably Arlington. The fact that we need to wait 12 months to make a decision on this does not look good publicly either. I mean, I can't believe we have to sit here and wonder. I mean, what, what's there to wonder about? Really, I got to sit here, hmm, you know, I'm, I'm Kevin Moore in my office. I wonder where we should go. I mean, it's pretty obvious, pretty clear to me. So I don't get this quote. I don't get this article, but it's certainly big news. That, that's the main point. That's why we're doing a video on it. It's certainly big news. So I don't know which direction the Bears are going to go. And my bet is still on Arlington Heights, and that's my hope. But this was kind of a cryptic quote. <laughs> 12 months? Really? Are, are you waiting on other cities to come in on it? I mean, maybe maybe that's the case. Maybe, I don't know, another city in the area is going to put up some land and, and, and a proposal, and maybe it'll make perfect sense too. But good luck trying to top Arlington Heights in terms of location in terms of experience running big venues, and in terms of the Bears already owning freaking land over there. To me, it makes perfect sense. It makes a, It's a perfect fit. I just hope Kevin Warren doesn't screw it up. Thanks for watching today's program here on Sports Talk Chicago. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Big thank you to John Meadows, directing and producing. Big thank you to all of you. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and subscribe to this channel for more raw, unfiltered Chicago Bears talk. So long, everyone.